Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. This is a reading from the prophet Amos, chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Why not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, as we gather for worship today, your words permeate all of our worship. From our call to worship and our liturgy, to our prayers, to the hymns that we sing and the word proclaimed. And so as your word echoes in the walls of this tabernacle, O Lord, may it echo, may they echo in our hearts, but let us not just stop here with your words. Let them fill our souls to overflowing so that we would go forth from this place, not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you are like me and you sort of have been sort of looking at the composite of the news stories that have been in the cycle over the last couple of months, but there seems to be a vein of the stories that causes me great concern. We have seen articles about the rise in anti-Semitism and the attacks we've seen witnessed in New York at Hanukkah, or the story of the pain caused by an inadvertent ordering of wristbands, which peeled open a wound that we had thought since been healed or racially motivated shootings and the rise of hate crimes, and even the increasing number of white supremacist rallies. And what these stories tell me is they point to the fact that even 56 years after the signing of the Civil Rights Act, or 244 years after we declared in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator for the pursuit of liberty, and happiness. Or if we take what was rounded out in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the, art and, the, and the articles that have even amended it, or even simply the words that we read in our Bibles that declare that all of us are God's children, plain and simple. All of this scholarship, all of this writing, these stories tell us that we're not there yet, that we still have much to learn, 
that we seem as at times in our world to have trouble seeing each other simply as children of God and as valuable children of God. We encounter people each and every day in our lives without a doubt. We encounter people that are different than us in a variety of ways. And see, what I think God calls us to do, what God writes in the Bible, God calls us to live not in fear, but in harmony. To live not in isolation, but in community. To live not in faith, but in love. To live not in poverty of mind, body, or spirit, but in the prosperity of God's kingdom for all of God's children. See, the Bible teaches that we are to see each other as brothers and sisters, as children of God, and that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is much better because of each of us and what we bring to the table simply in the way that God created us. That's the message, I think, what we want to hear and what we've got to be reminded of. And so when we read the, 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 the reading from Amos that Holly just read to us, I'll be honest, I mean, it's a dark letter. Amos is one of those prophets that gives us grim warning about everything. It condemns the way that the Israelites have treated the poor and the weak. Some scholars want to use this as a liberation theology, but really it's a justice theology. It's about a theology in which everyone should share in the benefits. Everyone should share in the risk and the rewards of society. That we should hold each other as equal and give each other that benefit of the doubt. Amos writes further and points out that God grieves when the people are broken. When they no longer hold each other in the same esteem. He writes that he... God grieves that the Israelites have placed value in all the wrong things, in their status, in their own recognition, in their own individuality, in their own self-aggrandizement. Because what they must focus on, Amos writes, is what builds community. And so as he writes and he talks about worship and he talks, he says it's not so much about the style. When he condemns worship, it's not about the style or the words or the liturgy or the music that they sing, what he's condemning is the fact that our hearts aren't transformed by our worship. That what we say, what we sing, what we pray, what we hear doesn't transform us and move us closer to what God wants for the kingdom. What, I, what Amos is writing about is that a divided people will fall. They will fail to the point of embarrassment and the community will be torn apart. But yet, God's righteousness is available. God's righteousness will flow down like an ever-flowing stream and justice like an ever-flowing river will pour out across the people if we will just dial into it. And these are watch words, I think, for our times just as they were for the Israelites. See, there are ways or watchwords. So as we begin to cast dreams and visions for how we will live into our mission and our ministry, our task and our purpose right here in Winston-Salem, these are words for us because we are here and equipped and called to ministry in this time and in this place to build up the community. 
Teresa of Calcutta writes that let no one come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. And see, I think that's who we are called to be. Where people come to us and we run into them, so we intersect with their lives, that they find themselves coming away from those intersections as better and happier. Because they have seen in us an expression of God's living kindness. That's who we are called to be in the world. That's who God wants us to be so that justice flows like an ever-flowing stream in righteousness, like a river. That's who we're called to be. Yesterday, I gathered with folks from all across Western world, kind of members of our church over at St. Paul United Methodist Church over on Delabrook, and we were there to celebrate the blessed kingdom that Martin Luther King preached and taught about. And we gathered together for that. And as I was a part of the worship leadership and looked out on the congregation, it wasn't lost on me that it resembled the Acts 2 church. It resembled the kingdom of heaven. If you remember the Acts 2 church, all the people from around the world gathered in Jerusalem for the festival. And they were from all the different races and nations. And at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles. And they began to speak in all the languages of the world, telling them about the grace, the goodness, the love of Jesus Christ. And so as I was in the sanctuary, a part of the worship leadership yesterday, I looked out and there was a rainbow of the color palette of skin tones. It was just that we were all there and present. We heard the liturgy spoken in the different languages of different churches in our conference, Korean, Spanish, Ashanti, French, English. And it reminded me of that Acts 2 moment where the Spirit was poured out and we're beginning to realize that if that's what we want to see the kingdom of heaven look like, if we want to feel it where we gather together and imagine worshiping whether in one house or multiple houses, but that all of God's children worship and praise God together in one voice, of many languages, in one people, of many pigments, then we need to think about how we, as followers, how we as disciples live into that calling that God has laid on our hearts so that we show the world the living expression of God's kindness and kingdom. And we start basically with our intent. If we want to make that a reality, we first have to decide that we want to choose peace and prosperity for all of God's people. Now, these are not just empty words. We can't make it just a tagline or hollow words or symbols or empty gestures because there's already enough of that going on in the world around us. No, instead, we've got to want to roll our sleeves up, get into the mud and dig into it and make the hard work personal. We want to build up and be out in our community and sharing God's love with each other and with everyone we meet, no matter who they are. We must be intentional and not half-hearted about it. We cannot phone in our desire to bring peace and prosperity for everyone. Instead, we must do the hard work. We must understand the causes of it and how we want to fight for it. 
But once we've made that sort of our personal mission statement, our congregational view that we want to be a part of bringing together peace and prosperity for all of God's children, then the next part as we begin to work on a plan is to set aside our personal agendas. As I watch what happens on the news and read time and time again, I'm reminded that there is a great divide in our country. We seem to have lost the ability to talk to each other. It's as if we become the United States of the party and not the United States of America. I mean, I remember studying civics and learning that this idea of the American dream was that our politicians would go to Washington and work together for the good of all of us. And what seems to happen, no matter what side of the equation you're on, it's about the party first and the people second. See, I think God calls us to be about the people first. It's not about what is good for me and my tribe, but it's what is about good for the community as a whole. As we continue to look at what is coming out of the work on the protocol for grace and separation in the denomination, what I want to see is the gift they've given us. I mean, imagine the model that they have shown us as a church, but that we as a church can show the world when you have 16 people who have very different viewpoints getting together in a room to hammer out a way forward for the good of the church. I mean, they started with the idea of yes. Yes, we want to get success. Yes, we want to move forward. Yes, we want a plan that lifts everyone up and respects everyone and gives everyone a chance to succeed. But then the next step, it's a great concept, but the real concept gets to how do you get to yes? And so they began to talk through their differences, sharing their fears, their concerns, their hopes, their dreams, what they would need to feel comfortable recommending a plan. When they hit the tough points, when they hit the points that seemed to be not negotiables, instead of just running from the table, fleeing the room, they stayed at the table together. And then they prayed. Now they didn't just say, let's pray to take sort of the energy out of the room. They prayed earnestly. God, show us the way. God, show me where I am being stuck in the mud so that I might be able to move beyond this to help someone else. Help me see someone else's point of view. Help me understand. They prayed. They fought for that yes. They did all of this while building relationships with each other. So as I listened to an interview with some of the participants, I know, I know who they are, and I know these two that are on completely opposite sides of the conversation and you might say, well, they have probably got real disdain for each other. But as they talked about it, they said, we still don't agree with each other. But we love each other. We care about each other. And because of that, we worked to find a way to lift each other up so that we're successful. See, think about what the church is teaching our world. Think about what the church is teaching our children about how to handle conflict and go for the greater good, for what lifts all ships so that we might sail on the tide of freedom. Think what we're showing our children. When we put the principles of Jesus first and then others and finally ourselves. When that becomes the model by which you live, Jesus, others, and then yourself, you find really joy 
in the work. Joy in the return. Joy in what comes out of it. And what a gift it is not only for us, but for the world. But once we have the conviction of heart that we want peace and prosperity for everyone and we want to set aside our personal agendas then to get to that path, to get to that kingdom of heaven, that Acts 2 church, that image that we see where all God's children are lifted up and successful, it takes leadership. It takes leadership on our part. We can be a part of the problem or part of the solution, but what I hope we are and what I think God is calling us to is to be part of the solution where we want to take a role in making a change in the world around us, where we seek to celebrate all and lift each other up. There's a story that gets told. It's, it's made the rounds on the internet. You've probably heard this or some version of it. But imagine the seminary professor comes in, hands out a, a big old long test on church history, which, you know, it's very minute. It's very, the minutia is there, the heaviness is there, keeping the heresies straight, all that kind of stuff. And so the students are going through and they're filling this test out. They get to the last question, which is worth 20% of the grade. And the last question is, is who is Betty Smith? And everybody's like, who is Betty Smith? I mean, you know, we know who Tertullian is. We know who Karl Barth is. We know, we know who the Council of Nicaea was. Who is Betty Smith? So they all scribble answers. They turn their papers in. They all get their papers back. No one gets it right. Finally, one student who is afraid to endure the ridicule of the professor timidly raises his or her hand and says, excuse me, Dr. So-and-so, who is Betty Smith? The professor just smiles and she takes her glasses off and she looks out at the class and she says, Betty Smith is a member of the building services team who is assigned to clean this classroom every afternoon. Betty comes in and straightens our desks, vacuums the floor, wipes down the chalkboard, empties the trash cans, Betty makes us successful. Make no mistake about it. In your ministry, there will be Betty Smiths which lift you up and make you look good and make you successful. Part of your calling is to lift Betty Smith up, make her look good, and make her successful. You see, when we have that kind of a leadership where we look at those that have supported us, but we look at those around us whose voices aren't heard, who need to be lifted up, and we lift them up. We hear words that go counter to the gospel and counter to the way we should treat human beings. Part of our leadership calling is to say enough. You will not say that about those people in my presence. You will not speak about my friend this way. You will not speak about my brother or my sister like that. No. No enough. Sure, they may talk about you behind your back because you've said enough, but would that not be worthy to be talked about? Is it you respected your brother and sister enough to lift them up and give a voice for them when they weren't present at the table? So I was reminded yesterday in the conversation over at St. Paul, here we are on Martin Luther King weekend that Martin Luther King stood up on the Capitol step or on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial overlooking the great pool, looking at the Washington Monument. And he said, let freedom ring from every mountainside. Let it ring from every city, from every hamlet, so that all God's children 
might be free at last and have great value in the kingdom of heaven? What if we, the people of Centenary United Methodist Church, what if we dared to dream that dream too? What if part of the dreams and visions that we have for our city included that, that we would choose peace and prosperity for all of God's children, setting aside our agendas and lifting each other up in leadership to make it a reality in our personal lives, in the missions and ministries that we do here, where we go out in the world looking far and wide so that we might lift all of God's children so that the kingdom truly reflects that which would make God joyous. Because if we did that, surely God's justice would flow like a mighty river. God's righteousness would flow like an ever-flowing stream. And we would guard each one's dignity, save each one's pride, We would lift each one up as a brother and sister, arm in arm, hand in hand, for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.